When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Caliba.com. Doug Maurice, we got to do this, and I'm mad already, but it's a good mad. I like to be mad sometimes. I'm, I'm finishing up the second season of Ted Lasso because the third season's coming. And, like, my favorite character on there, I don't want to give it away. See if you can figure out who my car- favorite character is and who I hate. So I'm I'm mad because I've been researching basketball, and we have to talk about basketball. We have to talk about basketball. And what we're going to do is take a lovely stroll down memory lane because guess what? Ohio State is good and has been good and should be good at basketball. And Ohio State is not part of the NCAA tournament. So we're going to do this one little thing, and then we're going to give you some good football to end the week. But we have to do this, and we have to do this because we have to second the record straight on some stuff and allow you to tell people who think there is not a standard for basketball at Ohio State, who think that Ohio State's not supposed to be good at basketball, to think that people overestimate what Ohio State basketball should be. You're going to be able to tell them to ram it. These might be your friends. They might be your rivals. They might be people who work at Ohio State, who for some reason think that there are these little windows in the history of Ohio State basketball. Well, there was that window. They were good then. And then there was that window. They were good then. But nobody's really... Stop it. It's a lie. You're lying to yourself. And it's about standards. And if you don't want to live up to or to apply the standard then just admit that. But don't act like the standard doesn't exist. Whether you are someone on the outside or whether you are someone on the inside. Because you're just wrong. Which is why this season is unacceptable. Because Ohio State basketball is supposed to be and traditionally has been good. And if you don't understand that, Leave. Okay, here's what I'm talking about. I looked up so much stuff. This is supposed to be, we didn't even give you a Tuesday podcast because I had to look up so much stuff just to prove to people I'm not rooting for anything. I'm telling you what exists in the world. I like having a standard. I want to be part of a standard. Ask the people who are in meetings with me 
how often at times I say, we're Cleveland.com. We shouldn't take a backseat to anybody. We shouldn't settle for anything. We are Cleveland.com. That means a standard. So live up to it or move on. So Ohio State basketball is. Listen, it's not football. It's not. But we have to be able to have a discussion about the standards of Ohio State basketball without just falling back on it's not football. Okay. Standards matter. It gives everyone, standards provide an opportunity. People before me have established a structure and an organization that is capable of greatness. I don't have to chart my own path. I don't have to wonder if it's possible. I see the history and I know what it can be and not just can be, but should be. And if you're going to be Ohio State sports, if you're going to be Cleveland.com, if you want to be a big dog, then live up to the standard. Don't view the standard as a burden. View the standard as an opportunity. NCAA titles. People think, oh, they've only won one title. Ohio State basketball has won a title. You know how many teams in the history of the NCAA tournament have won a title? 37. So Ohio State's one of 37. You know how many programs have won three or more titles? Just eight. Nobody's asking Ohio State to be them. You know how many have won two titles? Just seven. That's only 15 programs across the country in men's college basketball who have more titles than Ohio State. They're tied for 16th with the 22 other schools that have one title. So tied for 16th, what does that mean you should be? You should be one of the 16 best programs in the country. You should be one of the 20 best programs in the country as a standard. Sweet 16s in the history of the NCAA tournament. Now, in the beginning, by the way, Ohio State played in the first national championship game in 1939. You guys know that, right? It took place at a gym, a tiny little gym at Northwestern University, which I happened to attend. I played intramural basketball in the gym where they held the first Final Four. And Ohio State played in 1939. Oh, is Ohio State's basketball supposed to be good? Yeah, it is. It's supposed to be good. Sweet 60s. But in the beginning, there were only eight teams in there. So they've only been doing Sweet 16s since like the 60s, okay? So Sweet 16s all time, Ohio State has nine Sweet 16s. That's tied for 25th all time. But college basketball does a nice thing for us. We're going to get to the nice memories. We're going to get to the nice memories. You guys, I have texters sending in stuff. They remember the 1960 Ohio State National Championship. How lucky are we to have people who are willing to share those memories with us, to keep that history alive? Because Ohio State, guess what it has? A title. Nine Sweet 16s. That's tied for 25th all time. But they draw this line. 1985, the tournament expands to 64 teams. It's the modern era. Since 1985... Ohio State has eight Sweet 16s. So eight of the nine Sweet 16s have come since 1985. That's tied for 20th. It's pretty good. It's tied for 20th in the modern era how many Sweet 16s Ohio State has made. And you know what? They used to be higher than that. They just haven't made the Sweet 16 since 2013. They haven't made the Sweet 16 since the last four years of Thad Mata or the first five years of Chris Holtman. He's been here six. They didn't have a tournament one year. 0 for 5. So this is now a nine-tournament drought that Ohio State has not reached the Sweet 16. Here's the Sweet 16s since 1985, since the tournament expanded to 64 teams. 
All-time leader since 1995, Duke with 26. Ohio State's not supposed to be Duke. Second, North Carolina with 24. Third, Kansas with 23. Fourth, Kentucky with 22. Blue bloods of all blue bloods. Nobody's asking Ohio State basketball to be that. Fifth with 18 is Arizona, a modern blue blood. Tied for sixth with 16 Sweet 16 appearances since 1985, UCLA, an all-time blue blood that was down for a little bit, got it back. Syracuse and Michigan State. Listen. There's not a Jim Beheim here. There's not a Tom Izzo here. We get that. Ninth, Louisville and UConn, both with 14. Now we're getting in range of teams that Ohio State is capable of being and should be looped in with. This is your group, Ohio State. Pay attention. If anybody in the basketball office needs this list, I'm happy to share it. This is your cohort. This is your context. You know why? Because you're Ohio State basketball, 11th with 12 Sweet 16 appearances since 1985. Gonzaga and Michigan tied for 13th with 11 appearances. Purdue and Florida tied for 15th with 10 appearances. Villanova, Indiana, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin. There's no reason Ohio State can't be any of them. 19th with 9 appearances in the Sweet 16 since 1985. Maryland. Tied for 20th with eight, Arkansas, Xavier, Ohio State. That's your top 22. And that's without Ohio State making a Sweet 16 since 2013. So maybe, I don't know, if they would have made two in the past decade, they'd be tied for 11th. They wouldn't be tied for 20th. This is your context. That's history and it's modern. It's right now and it's the recent past. It's everything. That is who Ohio State basketball is. All-time tournament appearances since 1939. Played in the first national championship game in college basketball. Oh, I don't know. Why does everybody think Ohio State's supposed to be good? 35 NCAA tournament appearances. We're not worrying about anything vacated. That's real on the court. Ohio State was there. That's tied for 13th all-time. 13th all-time. Total number of appearances. How good is that? And then overall wins in the tournament. Ohio State has 58 wins all time in the tournament. That's also tied for 13th because in those 35 appearances, Ohio State lost its first game just six times in the history of the tournament. 29 times they've won at least a game. 13 times they've won multiple games in the NCAA tournament. Zero times under Chris Holtman. So this is the standard. And I don't, why is there debate about this? Why is there misunderstanding about this, that sometimes people like to pick out and say, well, you know, I mean, just Thad, if you look at Thad and then you look at, you know, Havlicek, Lucas era, other than that, it's like, no, everybody has some ups and downs, but like, this is real. This is who Ohio State is. So I don't, I don't get it at all. Why anybody would question what Ohio State is supposed to be in basketball. It is not supposed to be Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA. And then I think you would give them Arizona, Michigan State, Louisville, Syracuse, right? Maybe that's like the next tier. No lower than the third tier. In the third tier. So when we look at the all-time appearances, 35 appearances, okay? Here's the number of all-time appearances. Kentucky, 60. North Carolina, 52. UCLA, 51. Kansas, 50. Duke, 44. Louisville, 43. Syracuse and Villanova, 41. 
Indiana 40, Notre Dame 37, Arizona 36, Texas 36, Michigan State and Ohio State and UConn 35, Marquette and Arkansas 34. I went through and looked at those teams, right? Everybody with 34 or more appearances. Who's in the tournament this year? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 11 of the teams are in the tournament this year. One, two, three, four, five, six teams are not in the tournament this year. Of any of the top 17 all-time tournament appearances, 11 are in, six are not. Here are the six who are not. North Carolina, preseason number one, made the national title game last year, did not make the tournament. It is an unbelievable disaster under second-year coach Hubert Davis. So, listen, man, Roy Williams is a tough act to follow, but they just made the national title game last year. So they're a mess right now. They got to get it figured out. But Hubert Davis, man, you build up capital when you make the national title game in year one, even if you made it on the back of Roy Williams players, okay? But that's a that's a, an, an extreme circumstance. Who else didn't make it? Louisville didn't make it. Horrible year. That's a coach in year one. Who else didn't make it? Villanova. Bad year. That's a coach in year one. Who else didn't make it? Syracuse. Jim Beheim. Last year, he's on his way out. Who else didn't make it? Notre Dame. Mike Bray. Last year, he's on his way out. Who else didn't make it? Ohio State right in the middle of Chris Holtman's career. So all-time teams, most tournament appearances, the top 17, only six didn't make it. Two have coaches who are leaving. Two have coaches who just started. One is a coach who followed a legend and made the national title game last year. And the other coach is Chris Holtman. Ohio State is supposed to be good at this. We're going to go down memory lane. We're going to walk down memory lane. Hand in hand, come along with us. We're going to... You want to come? If you you believe that Ohio State basketball is supposed to be good at this, let's walk down memory lane. If you don't think, well, you know, football, well, I don't know, Thad Mott and Fred Taylor, well, I don't know, then you can turn it off. It's about standards. It's about standards and accepting them and not using them as excuses. We'll do it next. We're walking down memory lane on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk just for your own personal reference. If you'd like to pull out a pen, I'll say this without quite the edge in my voice. So you can write this down and you can make a little chart and you can remind everybody. You could laminate it, put it in your purse, put it in your wallet. Maybe put it in the glove box of your car. The next time somebody who's maybe a fan of Ohio State, who's maybe a fan of another school, who's maybe employed by Ohio State says, "Eh, I don't know. These are the only 12 schools in the nation with more NCAA tournament appearances than Ohio State. Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, Kansas, Duke, Louisville, Syracuse, Villanova, Indiana, Notre Dame, Arizona, Texas. So that's your list. So that's your list. It's easy to laminate. You know why? Because it's not a very long list. Because there are not that many teams of the 330 who are playing major college basketball. There are not that many teams with a greater history of making the NCAA tournament than Ohio State. So to celebrate that, we're in celebration mode now. We're going to walk down memory lane. We're going we're to celebrate the greatest moments in Ohio State basketball history, and also some painful ones. 
because I sent the call, the call out for the texter, 614-350-3315, if you want to be part of stuff like this. And I said, send me your favorite NCAA tournament memories, your favorite NCAA tournament players, right, for Ohio State basketball history. And some people were like, I know you said favorite, but I've got to do this. And I get it. So I covered a chunk of this. And so I'm going to give you some of my memories. I know you guys like that sometimes. It's not, I have a terrible memory, so it's not a lot of great, like, inside stuff. If I remembered all the inside stuff, I'd tell you. I'm going to tell you a little bit of what I remember from covering, like, an era here where they made the NCAA tournament a bunch of, a bunch of times. But again, this is the year, the, the years that Ohio State made the NCAA tournament. Again, if you want to write this down, this is longer because it's 35 times. 1939, the very first one. Won two games, lost in the national championship. 44, 45, 46. 1950, 60, 61, 62. You know those guys. Won the national title in 1960. Lost in the title game in 61 and 62. Big O. 68, Bill Hoskett, those guys. Made the final four. 71, this is a little bit of a dry time. 80, 82, 83, 85, 87, 90, 91, 92, 99, final four in 99, 2000, 2001, 02, 06, 07, 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, 19, 21, 22. Again, easy. I'm going to have your, your personal effects just jammed with Ohio State basketball history because, again, you might come across somebody who says, I don't know if Ohio State's supposed to be good at basketball. Again, maybe it's someone employed by Ohio State. And then you can say, well, Doug gave me a list. So the oldest, we did not have anyone write in to say they remembered watching Ohio State in the 1939 Final Four. And I was disappointed by that. I guess you'd have to be pretty old. Um, Oregon... They were called the Tall Furs because when I was at Northwestern as a student, I was like, hey, I should do a story on this. And I was there long enough ago that there were guys still alive who had played in that game. And I'm like, hey, I'm playing intramural basketball in this gym. I should like do a story about the very first Final Four here. And then I put it off, and now it's like <laughs> 30 years since I was in college and nobody's around anymore because it was 1939. They lost to Oregon in the national championship game. So we didn't have anybody come up from the, from the uh, 1930s or 40s or 50s to share their thoughts. But guess what? We did have people from 1960 share their memories. Hi, Doug, from the 859. This is what we're doing. We're remembering fond Ohio State NCAA tournament memories because I don't know if you know, they didn't make it this year. But guess what? They've made it a lot in the past. Hi, Doug, I was 11 years old in 1960. Ohio State was playing Cal in the NCAA finals. The game started at 11 p.m. Eastern. That is a late tip. I hid my radio in my bed so my parents would not know I had it. I tried to listen to the game on the local Cleveland station. I made it to halftime and fell asleep. My radio was on all night. Is that like, that's like a thing like Stephen King would write about a boy listening on the radio to a game and my radio was on all night. That would be like the title of a book. My radio was on all night. Although if it was a Stephen King book, then it would end with like, there's a monster in your closet or something. That We don't want this to happen. But that's what you used to do. I did that when I was a kid. I fell asleep to the radio, listen to games. My parents realized in the morning I had the radio. They were not happy. They got over it. So Ohio State, man. My two favorite Buckeye basketball players were Jerry Lucas and John Havlicek. The next two years, Ohio State was in the finals, but lost to Cincinnati. Those games were on TV. I was able to watch both of them. I was crushed. Cincinnati had lost the big O in 1959, but they had some great players. I'm interested to see what others talk about. So I guess, again, am I getting the big O stuff wrong that he was not? Here, let me double, let me pause and double check. I got to say the big O stuff, right? 
Yeah, what am I doing? Sorry. You just got Oscar Robertson stuck in your head. I should know that because I've done this before. So Oscar Robertson lost in the Final Four to Cal his last year in college in 1960. Ohio State beats Cal for the title. Then Cincinnati without Oscar Robertson beats Ohio State in consecutive national championship uh, basketball games in 1961 and 1962. So, see, this is why we have great texters who have been around to share the knowledge. Sorry I got that wrong before. So isn't that fun to remember that? First NCAA I remember from the, the 415. 1960-1961 team. Jerry Lucas, John Havlicek, Larry Siegfried, Mel Noel, Bobby Knight. That was the Buckeye gold standard. Oral Roberts was the lowest point, the first round loss, when Ohio State lost to a 15 seed. Until this season, when failure to beat the press uh, cost us the first Purdue game and ultimately the season. So I like bringing it around from 1960 all the way down uh, to current times. So that's those are good memories, right? Tough losses in 61 and 62 to have Lucas and Havlicek. And again, they've had, I've been around the reunions of those teams, which has been great. You think about the 50-year reunion in 2010 of those teams. I was there for that. 60-year reunion in 2020. I was there for that. I can remember that because they had that reunion like right before COVID stopped stuff. And I was worried like sort of as the COVID, COVID was getting rolling then, like I hope none of those old guys had an issue with COVID because they were gathered together like the month or the couple weeks before it went down. And that was Bob Knight was there. Bob Knight has not always participated in that stuff, but Bob Knight was there. He's getting older. But I mean, you think about that, that team to have literally two of the greatest players of all time in Jerry Lucas and John Havlicek college and pro. And then to have one of the great college coaches of all time on that team as well as a pretty unbelievable thing. So great memories from 1960 and then of course also made the tournament 61 and 62 then now we're going to jump a little bit right now we're jumping to the 90s and this is good and bad 1990 first round versus providence jim jackson's freshman year alex davis hit some clutch shots went on to lose to unlv but i knew the program was headed for big things from the 256 so i think that is i like those look aheads like that and that's what I thought was disappointing about this year is like, I know that you can be building for the future, but you don't have to go to 5 and 15 in the Big Ten regular season while you're building for the future. From the 5 6 1, favorite NCAA memory, 1990 first round versus Providence. It was an 8 9 game. Ohio State won in overtime by one point. Incredible back and forth game, but the most memorable part is I was out of the country with my parents, and my father and I found a distorted version of the game on local VHF. Anyone know what that is, right? It's antenna. The image kept going out, and my dad and I would have to furiously rearrange the antenna tin or with tinfoil to refind the game. The team was on an upward swing with Jimmy Jackson, Perry Carter, Jamal Brown, Mark Baker, and setting up two great seasons in 91 and 92. Lost a historically great UNLV the next round, but played them better than anyone else in the tournament. That's our guy Ron and Jupiter. Great memories from 1990. Now, the end of that version of the run, right? That 90-91-92 run did not go quite as far as it could have. And this is, we're going to talk about some of the toughest losses in Ohio State NCAA tournament history. But you have to get in to even have the chance to lose games like that. So I even think being part of an exciting NCAA tournament game is such a thing to me that I think you have to put that in perspective, right? That there's, it's, it's a little bit like losing a football playoff. Some say it's like, oh man, that's the toughest. You're in the fight, man. And to be in the fight and to go down swinging, I just think there's so, something to that. So from the 614, not sure it's my favorite memory, but definitely the most memorable. In 1992, I was a student at Ohio State. 
and made the drive to Lexington for the regional final against the team up north. After all the losses to Michigan and football during the Cooper years, I thought they would be canceled out by that Ohio State basketball team. Chris Gent, Lawrence Funderburg, Mark Baker. Ohio State was a one seed and lost 75-71 to to the Fab Five. Jimmy Jackson, all those guys. Alas, it wasn't meant to be. Longest drive home ever. That's our guy Chris, not Beanie Wells. This is another one. 1992 Ohio State-Michigan game. Jimmy Jackson passing off to a wide open Chris Gent in the closing seconds, only to have Chris Gent throw up an eight-foot cinder block, then losing the game at overtime to the Fab Five. Oh, how would things have been different if that shot wasn't like a Noah Ruggles poorly struck knuckler with zero rotation for a natty? I know you said positive, but back then the basketball team was the only hope we had with the annual Cooper-Michigan debacles. At least we beat them twice that year in basketball, more than Cooper ever did. So again, like right in the fight, man. I appreciate being in the fight. Let's talk about 1999, because a lot of people sent in memories about that. And isn't it nice to tie some great memories, some great teams, and some great individual players? It's like, you go Jimmy Jackson, bam, you go right back there. You go Michael Red, bam, you're right back in 1999. Let's think about 1999. Favorite has to be when they beat St. John's to advance to the Final Four in 1999. I can still hear Sean McDonough say, Ohio State goes to the Final Four as the game ended. I watched the game in my college apartment with my roommate on West 10th Avenue, and it was awesome. To finally feel what it was like for my team, my school, to make it to the Final Four was incredible from the 6-1-4. So, again, that's, we're talking gap there, right? We're talking gap from 68 to 99 for not making the Final Four. So that's like a generation plus. So we're realizing how big of a deal that was uh, and why people love that 1999 team. It started... With me, with the 1999 Final Four team. Scooney Penn, Michael Red, Ken Johnson, George Reese. What a fun squad. Boban. I had the opportunity to meet most of the team at a Jim O'Brien basketball camp. I felt like I met the 92 Dream Team. As most in Columbus know, Scooney was and is a top-notch nice guy and appreciative of the roots he established in Columbus. I'll always love those memories of them upsetting number one seed Auburn and then the classic game against St. John's in the Final Four. That was the standard for me. And I'll always love the memories of that March run from the 614. Funny, this is like just a tiny little exposure for me. In 1999, this is way before I had anything to do with Ohio State, I was covering Major League Baseball. And um, that's back when newspapers, you know, still sent people to, kind of to random things. And so the 1999 Final Four, as you guys know, was in Tampa. And I was covering Philadelphia Phillies spring training. It was the first spring training I covered. I covered spring training in 99, 2000, 2001 full-time. Like you're in Florida for like six and a half weeks. It was nuts. And since the Final Four was down the street, I went to the games. We sent a guy down who was sort of like a college basketball guy for us at this paper in Wilmington, Delaware. And he covered the games and I like helped out. And so I was there at the Ohio State Final Four. But like it didn't register for me because I was just covering a thing. I was really there like you... You get locked into the teams that you know, where you have the expertise. I had zero expertise on college basketball or on anything Ohio State back then. So it's just funny to me. It's like, oh, looking back. Yeah, no. 1999 Final Four, I was there. My favorite Ohio State NCAA tournament season was the team with Scooney Penn, Michael Redd, and Ken Johnson. Getting to the Final Four that season was huge for Buckeye basketball because it had been ages since they had been there. The Randy Ayers tenure was so brutal. I loved Scooney Penn and Michael Redd. I was also on spring break as an eight or nine-year-old, and we flew into Tampa. The game was at the Tropicana. Yeah, Tropicana Field. 
All the Final Four buzz was everywhere. Good memories. Tough loss to Rip Hamilton and Khalid Elamine from the 4-4-0. And one more about 1999 from our guy Seth Shaner. This one's great. My favorite NCAA tournament memory with Ohio State is from 99 when I was a reporter slash play-by-play guy with the student radio station. I'll focus mostly on the Elite Eight win, but I have a few tidbits about other parts of that run that made it especially memorable. First, in the Sweet 16 against Auburn, I sat in the press overflow seating, and as the game started, I turned around and realized I had better seats than none other than Charles Barkley, who was just behind my right shoulder. I met uh, Red's legendary play-by-play man, Marty Brenneman, that day, and when Ohio State beat St. John's in the regional final, I took to the floor to get interviews. It was then that the folks at Channel 10 asked if I would run videotapes out to their truck so they could get them on the broadcast ASAP. Former Ohio State football player Ryan Miller held my recorder, and I ran back and forth as we got interviews on the floor. Marty saw me as he was exiting the building and said, Slow down, Seth! Big moment that he remembered my name two days later. Interviews continued in the locker room, and while I maintained professionalism, I was inwardly inwardly thrilled. You're a college kid. You're allowed to be inwardly or outwardly thrilled. As I had grown up a huge fan of the Buckeyes, I ended up with a Gatorade towel from a ball boy as a souvenir. And my college roommates may have absconded with a huge NCAA regional banner that is traditionally hung along the facade at the arena. Oh, and the Final Four saw a scalper try to pay me $10,000 for my media pass. No way I could have done that. And also failed to get my friends to sell their tickets for $3,400 each. Seth Shaner. Good memories, man. Good memories from 99. So now we jump. And now we're getting to the era when I was around Ohio State basketball. So guess what? There's a lot of Xavier. I think if we ever did a podcast where we did a list of the most important players in Ohio State basketball history, you, I, at least, I think you, a lot of you would agree, would end up drafting Ron Lewis much higher than we realize. Because... If Ron Lewis doesn't hit the shot against Xavier in the second round, that Odin Conley team goes down as maybe the greatest disappointment in Ohio State history from a basketball standpoint and up there for anything. To have guys who wind up going one and four in the draft, to have one of the dominant recruits in college basketball history in Odin and get knocked out by Xavier, by Thad Mata's former school, by another Ohio school, and Ron Lewis saves you, it's a it's a fork in the road, man. It's a fork in the road in the Mata era and the history of Ohio State basketball and for so many of you. And what would we be talking about right now? We would be, all we would be talking about was, oh, oh, seven, man. I can't believe they lost to Xavier. Think about that stuff. I mean, I know you guys do, but crazy. My favorite is easy. That's the shot by Ron Lewis to beat Xavier on the run to the title game. I also have fond memories of the 99 Final Four team. But, um... Ron Lewis was number one for that person from the 614. So Ron Lewis, man, stinking legend. I still, there's a part of me, I can't believe that Conley gave the ball up as he dribbled up court because so many point guards in that situation. And Conley is not a shoot first point guard, but he was a leader. That was his team by the end of the year. He was was always his team more than it was Odin's team. Odin really was Conley's sidekick. He just happened to be a seven foot tall, incredibly skilled sidekick. But so many guys in that spot would be like, I have to take this and just take it to the rim, maybe get off an awkward shot and he, or just find a three for yourself, right? And he was willing, I guess he needed a three. He's willing to give up that little flip to Ron Lewis. And it was the perfect play. Allowed Ron Lewis to shoot it in rhythm. My most memorable March Madness moment has to be the Ron Lewis three against Xavier in 07. I can still remember Gus Johnson's call word for word as if it just happened, and I get goosebumps 
every time I rewatch it. That's what we're talking about. 16 years ago. One of my greatest memories of the Basket Bucks is when Ron Lewis drained the three against Xavier. My college roommate saw a freshman Xavier basketball player at our local bar and asked him how it felt when Ron Lewis dropped the dagger in their hearts. He was not amused. Wow. So then you're rubbing it at the bar from the 937. Rubbing it in. Um, Ron Lewis, man. One more Xavier. Alan from Brunswick. Favorite Ohio State memory, Ron Lewis. Enough said. I did not watch the game with my dad, but I know he watched it. He and I talked the next day. We both revealed how we had a hard time falling asleep after that game because how late it was because of the adrenaline from watching that game. This was a no-brainer for me for my favorite tourney memory. So then, I mean, again, it's amazing. That 07 team is a great team. Not easy run, though. The 07 Sweet 16 game against Cincinnati, excuse me, against Tennessee from the 419. I was a high school senior, and my dad went to bed at halftime. I kept updating him at every immediate timeout about how much the Bucks have cut the lead. They were down by 20 at one point. He refused to come out because he didn't want to jinx it. He came out and celebrated when it officially went final. We clearly are a knock-on-wood family. You're welcome, Buckeye Nation. So again, that's part of this path. Ohio State's 20-point comeback against Cincinnati. I live in Knoxville, and I cling to this since I never stopped hearing about the 96 Citrus Bowl. That's nice. And then there was one that didn't go so well against Tennessee a couple years later in the Sweet 16 uh, and Evan Turner year. From the 614, favorite memory is watching the 0607 come back from 19 points down against Tennessee. I remember David Lighty with his end of game heroics and losing my mind at the improbable comeback, one of my favorite basketball memories of all time. So that's a good one. Now, this is one that, oh, let me say this, by the way. Boo basketball hiss, the season's over from the 419. Not a ton of enthusiasm for this exercise on the heels of the worst Ohio State men's hoops team in almost 20 years. That's not true. It's the worst team in 25 years. And no NCAA tourney berth. That's from the 415. So I hear you. We're trying to do it for the good memories at a time when we are way down for Ohio State basketball, right? That's why we're doing it. And we're going to get a little bit at the end to Ohio State not being in the tournament. How does that affect you Watching the NCAA tournament, we're going to get into a little bit just your final view of this season, but I don't want to lead with that because we're all sick of that. So that's not what this is. But sometimes it's fun to relive some stuff that you guys have shared memories of this. You are a shared memory bank of this experience. The people from 1960 who texted that, they are carrying that for all of us. Most of us were not alive then. So they carry that for us. So you guys, as we all get older, you're going to carry Ron Lewis for the people who don't remember it or weren't there. You're going to carry Tennessee. You're going to carry Mike Conley and Greg Oden. And you're going to carry the Evan Turner shot against Michigan, which wasn't an NCAA tournament game, but will allow it from the 5-1-3. My favorite year was 2010, my sophomore year at Ohio State. Starts with the Big Ten tournament semifinal versus Michigan. My friend and I were watching the game on a laptop in the back row of our mechanical engineering class at Ohio State. She now works for NASA. I switched majors. Ha, ha, ha. When Evan Turner hit the last second buzzer beater, we couldn't help but yell out. The professor made she and I explain what the outburst was all about, and then all was forgiven. I grew up a Xavier fan in Cincinnati. Let's not mention the 07 game. That's before this person went to Ohio State. And both Ohio State and Xavier were playing in Milwaukee the opening weekend. So my dad and I went, and both teams won all their games advancing to the Sweet 16. A very memorable trip and some of my first of many beers shared with my dad. That's very cool. That Evan Turner shot, you guys all know it. They show the replay all the time. I was courtside for that game 
because that's where they used to see you at the at the Big Ten tournament. I haven't covered the Big Ten tournament in a while, so I don't know where they put the media anymore. So I can remember I was on the opposite side of, of half court from where Turner hit the shot, but then they all moved down to celebrate to that end of the court. I remember jumping out of my seat and running down to watch them celebrate to be in that moment. And I don't know if this was this tournament, but there was a tournament where I came out and you have assigned seats and you have a placard at your seat and somebody was in my seat and I was like, Hey, you're in my seat. And like, I'm not very nice about that stuff. Cause it's like, listen, man, we're all there to work. Don't sit in my seat when I'm here to cover a game. And then I didn't realize it at the time, but apparently it was Dave Brandon, the Michigan athletic director who was in my seat. Don't sit in my seat. Evan Turner game winner versus Michigan in 2010. I know it was the big 10 tournament, not the NCAA, but I figured it was worth a shot. Pun intended from the five, six, seven. We'll take a dad joke. We'll take it. Last one on Evan Turner. This wasn't specifically the national tournament, but Evan Turner's shot to beat Michigan was unbelievable. My favorite part was Thad Mata's reaction, though. I love seeing the coaches get so fired up for their guys after big plays. So, yeah, that that's like up there from that era of those guys. That's up there with anything. Um, so now we move to the 2010, excuse me, the 2011 tournament. And I can remember this very specifically because the first two games, the first round, Ohio State was in Cleveland. And it was this idea of this was a big deal obviously we're, we're cleveland.com cleveland plane dealer so i wanted to do something special i went to hoopston to thad Mata's hometown as i mentioned with nathan on the pod the other day that nathan used to go to hoopston to watch movies so i went to hoopston and walked around and talked to all these people from thad Mata's past the corn jerkers were their mascot and wrote this gigantic story about Thad Mata. And it was because like, hey, like Ohio State's playing like an hour town. We're Cleveland.com. So I want to do something special. And I can remember the buzz around that team. That year, it felt, people thought there's no great team. There's no best team in the country. Ohio State was a one seed. I think Ohio State was the overall number one seed. Jaron Sullinger's freshman year. And I can remember writing after the first weekend as we were headed to the sweet 16, I was like, yes, there is a best team in the country and it's Ohio state because they were so dominant that first weekend. And then we get to Newark and they lose to Kentucky in that one, four game. William Buford's two of 16 takes the last shot. Should have given the ball up to John Diebler for a shot there. Again, that's the difference, man. Mike Conley in the moment gave it up to Ron Lewis who made it. I don't think William Buford was the guy to take that shot. And they lose. They lose to Kentucky, and then you go on to this crazy national final. UConn, right, wins the national. It's just like a weird year. There's no – the national champ is not the best team because the best team was Ohio State. And this is what sticks with a lot of you. Like, you couldn't help yourself. UConn wins the national title, and you like you, you can't help but wallow – in this because it sticks with you so much because that team in it in a bit of an off year and then certainly an off NCAA tournament they they really were the best team the loss to Kentucky is the worst Ohio State sporting loss in the last 30 years from the 937 offseason project <laughs> sometimes it's like you have good ideas but it's like why would you do it why would you do it not necessarily my favorite memory, but one game that will stay with me forever is the 2011 Sweet 16 loss to Kentucky. That Ohio State team was so fun to watch, and they were by far the best team in the country that season. The national title game that year ended up being an absolute dud between UConn and Butler that even Brian Ferentz was probably disgusted by. The offensive productions of both teams. Oh, yeah. One of the biggest what-could-have-beens for me as an Ohio State fan in all sports. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that because 
Thad Modic knew, and I'll, I'll run through some stuff, but it's like he knew the Kentucky matchup was possibly a problem. Josh Harrelson, right? Was that Josh Harrelson had a big game? They had enough of a big guy to, to make Sullinger work, and then they had some guys on the outside who can score. I was at the 2011 Kentucky game at the Prudential Center. It's in Newark. There's some football memories that hurt in terms of missed opportunities to win championships, but that 2011 basketball team will always be one of the first things that comes to mind in that category. I still remember the Kentucky fight song blasting after William Buford missed the last shot and feeling so helpless. So many other great memories as well. 10 to 13 was such a fun stretch of Ohio State basketball. I wish we could have those teams back. Personal favorite moment of mine is the Quentin Ross shot to beat Arizona. That's in 13. So that's our guy Griffin. So thanks for sending those in. Um, I think they would have won it. Like I, We could see it coming with that Kentucky team. You circled that. I, th- I know Ohio State in the moment felt like the draw was tough. Felt like the draw was tough for who they were. And it proved to be so. But you've got to win your way there. You can't back your way into the Final Four and they should have beaten that Kentucky team. They were better than that Kentucky team. That Kentucky team was pretty decent, but Ohio State was better. Which then leads to, I can remember, Jared Sullinger, I think after that loss, being in the locker room and like Jared Sullinger, like talking about coming back. And it was sort of like, man, I don't think that's true. And he did. And he stayed as a sophomore and they made the Final Four. And that is, again, when you talk about impactful Ohio State decisions where guys stay. And it's not to take anything away from guys who go. Sometimes guys go and they're right. Sometimes guys go and they're wrong. Sometimes guys stay and they're wrong. It doesn't work out. But if Mike Doss staying is the best example of a Buckeye staying and it working out, I think Jared Sullinger staying is the best example you can have because they make the Final Four in 2012 and go to New Orleans. 3 2012 Final Four against Kansas. I was an undergrad and watching the game at Lucky's on campus. The heartbreaking two-point loss to Kansas was tough, but there was just something about that team that brings back great memories and nostalgia. Kraft, Sullinger, William Buford, Lenzel Smith, and Deshaun Thomas, that's the team I remember most. Not sure if it's because I was in school during that run or what, but when I think of the best basketball moments for Ohio State, that is number one in my mind. Not a happy thought, but I will forever hate Kansas for knocking us out by two in the Final Four. Sullinger, Kraft, and that group should have left with the national championship. By far, my favorite era of Ohio State hoops. That's from the 941. So I don't think they were. That's the one thing when you think about this. I think it's different, for instance, than like Ohio State, Georgia, because the winner of Ohio State, Georgia was going to go beat TCU as it worked out. Anthony Davis and Kentucky were waiting in the national championship game. I wanted to see Ohio State take a shot, though. So they wound up, Thomas Robinson was the big guy for Kansas. He wound up getting the shot against Kentucky, and Kentucky won. I don't think that Ohio State team would have been able to beat Anthony Davis, Kentucky. But I wanted to see them try. So that's what we missed out on. By seeing them take their best shot against a truly great team and a truly great player. But I I don't chalk that. 2011, to me, is a national title lost. 2012 is not. So I do differentiate that that way. Let's go to 2013 when now we have this run where Jared Sullinger's gone, Buford's gone. So it's like not fumes, but a little bit of a twist on that era of Ohio State basketball. Aaron Kraft is still there, right? And then you get some of this LaQuentin Ross stuff and they hit these, these two amazing shots to beat Iowa State and Arizona in consecutive games to help them get to the, the regional final. Aaron Kraft versus Iowa State, LaQuentin Ross versus Arizona. That's the whole text from the 937. And that's the shorthand of Ohio State basketball fans. You know exactly what that means. 
right? It's got to be Aaron Kraft hitting a three-pointer. He wasn't much of an outside shooter, but he made it anyway. So that's that's part of why that was um, so amazing as well. I, I did forget this one. Um, the buzzer beater from Aaron Kraft is, is from this person. I didn't talk enough about what I thought was a huge win, was beating Syracuse in Boston. Ohio State was a two-seed. Syracuse was the one seed to get to that Final Four against Kansas. I can remember writing so much about that Syracuse zone before that game and the high post, low post stuff that Ohio State did with Jared Seller and Deshaun Thomas. Deshaun Thomas was a zone beater. They were like, that was a really good version of Syracuse. And Ohio State had the exact right guys and plan to handle that. I think that Ohio State went over Syracuse in that final four and 12 is up there with great Ohio, like not miraculous, but like high level beat a good opponent played high level basketball when it mattered. I think that's up there with anything, but that 13 run. Um, the thing that I remember about that 13 run is I was in LA for that and they get to the, the regional finals against Wichita state. And this is sort of like, it was when Wichita state sort of was something, but not really yet. And I can remember they had this Doug Baker guy who had floppy hair. And at the hotel I was staying in, Doug Baker's whole family was staying in my hotel. And they were all wearing these t-shirts that were just like the outline of Doug Baker's hair. Like one of those face things, like like they do like with uh better with um breaking bad guy, right? With the Heisenberg and the hat, just the outline of the face. Like you don't really need all the rest of the stuff. And that was it was like Doug Baker's like, oh cool, whatever, like your underdog Wichita State, they're a nine seed. They had made the NCAA tournament the year before, but they were a nine. And it was like, okay, Ohio State's going to win this and go to the Final Four again. They lose to Wichita State. I was shocked. I was like making reservations. And then the next year, Wichita State's a one seed. And so the year they beat Ohio State, that was the second of what became a seven-year run of Wichita State making the NCAA tournament every year. They had come out of nowhere under Greg Marshall kind of before that. Like, they, it's, there wasn't a lot of history there. And so, like, you didn't realize it in the moment. And I thought I was I was counting just probably the, the games that I assumed Ohio State was going to win that I was the most wrong about were the Michigan State 2013 Big Ten Championship game in football and this Wichita State game in basketball. So they hit the two great shots to get there. But that was a Final Four team, too. So again, it's just one of those things, right? Without Ron Lewis, we could be talking about 07 that way. Or if somebody makes a shot on the end against Kentucky, now, I mean, really, you're one shot away on a lot of this stuff. Which then leads us to 2014, which is this complicated end of that era, because it's Aaron Kraft's senior year. And they lose to Dayton and Buffalo. I'm a Dayton Flyers fan, so watching my beloved alma mater end Aaron Kraft's career in a bar full of Buckeye fans was rather fun, right? So if there are people out there, maybe you're Dayton basketball and Ohio State football, so you're a tech subscriber, but you were actually not rooting for Ohio State that day. I'm an Ohio State fan, but a Dayton grad. The epic showdown in the opening round was so incredibly fun for me from the 3-3-0. So Dayton wins. The Dayton Daily News does the uh, the University of Dayton headline, right? Uh, Ari and I covered that together. We drove back in a rental car. I wasn't paying attention. I ran out of gas on the highway. We got picked up by a guy who was telling us stories about how he worked in a concrete plant and his pores of his face were now filled with concrete. And then he took us to a gas station and we, we went back and filled up our car. 
but yeah, we covered Ohio State in Buffalo. They lose to Dayton, and then I ran out of gas on the way home. And then Ari didn't let me forget it for like six months. So these are the memories that we're talking about. And I'm going to try to just run through a little bit of my own because, again, I was just fortunate to sort of duck in um, to this era of Ohio State basketball. And my first year covering Ohio State was the second year of the Thad Mata era. So it was the year when they were the surprise Big Ten champs with Terrence Diles, Jaquel Foster, J.J. Sullinger, Matt Sylvester, all those guys. I wasn't here for the shot against Illinois, but I was here the next year. And they're a two seed in Dayton. And Thad Mata knew it was a terrible matchup because somehow, again, you see stuff coming sometimes. Somehow, Georgetown was a seven seed that year with Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green. And the next year... Georgetown made the Final Four. So the next year, so they're, Georgetown has Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green. They're a seven. And Ohio State's a two with like Terrence Styles. It was like, Thad Mata knew it. So Georgetown beats them. Georgetown looks like the better team. And Thad Mata, after that game, is like, if you think Hibbert's good, wait till you see the guy we've got coming. And the guy coming is Greg Oden. So then next year, they both make the Final Four. And Ohio State beats Georgetown to get to the national title game against Florida. So... That's that that matchup you knew was bad. The other thing, I, and in 07, I can remember, I've told this story many times, but I have vivid locker room memories of a couple things. I have a vivid, vivid locker room memory after Ohio State lost to Florida 41-14 in the Football National Championship in 06-07 of asking Ted Ginn, of being around Ted Ginn Jr.'s locker and being the, like, the first person that could ask him what happened and him explaining that he got hurt in the celebration and like hearing that he runs back the opening kick for a touchdown he gets dragged down by his teammates. He gets hurt. He's out for the game. And like hearing that hit my ear for the first time, like that's the story of this. Unbelievable. And then I can remember being in the locker room with Mike Conley and asking Mike Conley if he was going pro and him being like, no, I'm not. He just didn't know. He didn't know how good he was, how high he was going to go. He had to go. He was the number, wound up being the number four pick in the draft. But I remember that a lot um, from 07. 08 team. Just kind of a mess then without Conley and Odin. Thought they were going to make the NCAA tournament. Didn't. Had a rough year. Costa Kufis as a freshman. Jamar Butler, Costa Kufis, a lot of rubbing against each Like, did not. Just some, like, friction on that team. I can remember being, I think, at, at, at Iowa that year and outside the locker room. And just, like, you could feel the friction on that team, that it, something wasn't right. And then, oh, nine. They make the NIT, they win the NIT. So it's like, that's a down year. Again, that's why just 5-15 and 15 to me in the Big Ten was like, what? Like, that was a down year. They lost Greg Oden and Mike Conley off a team that made the national championship game. And I think they were 10-8 and eight in the Big Ten, and they made the NIT and won it in a year where it was rough. Next year is, so that was the year of like, that's, Evan Turnover, right? That's John Diebler can't make anything. That's that freshman class, and they go to the NIT. Then they come back, I think, right in year two. Is this right? And they go to Dayton. They're in an 8-9 game against Siena. Coach is Fran McCaffrey. Fran McCaffrey beats him in double overtime. What was the guy's name? Ronald something. Just killed him. And so that's like another sort of like step back kind of thing. But they at least made the NCAA tournament. So then we're in the 2010 when like Diebler and Turner and those guys are juniors, Evan Turner's national player of the year. They're a two seed and they get to the sweet 16 in St. Louis and they're in the Midwest and Kansas 
is the one seed in the Midwest and gets upset in the second round by Northern Iowa. So the path is open. And then this is the game where David Lighty gets in foul trouble, right? And Thad Mata afterward regrets sitting Lighty for as long as he did with two fouls. They wind up playing, like, that was that Ohio State team, like, a bunch of athletic wings, and Tennessee is a bunch of athletic wings. So Ohio State ends up losing to Tennessee, a six seed, 76-73, but, like, Tennessee is really good. Michigan State, meanwhile, is a five seed opposite them. We're looking like you might get a, you had a chance to get a regional final to go to the final four between two seed Ohio State and five seed Michigan State. Instead, Michigan State winds up going to the final four because Michigan State beats Northern Iowa, then beats Tennessee by one, and then goes to the final four. But that Ohio State team was good enough to be a final four team, like good enough to be a final four team. So, like rough, foul trouble, good athletic team, just don't quite get it done. Then 11, we talked about the loss to Kentucky. 12, they make it. 13, we talked about uh, 14, Buffalo, and here we are into this next era that I stopped covering the team, um, and so I don't have as much personal knowledge. And you guys didn't have memories, because it's been a while since you had great memories, right? So I did ask kind of like for some other memories of the NCAA tournament, because it is NCAA tournament time. I loved when Michigan lost in the championship on a Chris Weber timeout with no timeouts left. Just saying. The Michigan hate never gets old. From the five one three, so I like it's like oh, what's your favorite memory? It's like oh, the worst moment of Chris Weber's life. Oh, okay. I've I have a this is like a, a North Carolina State thing again. You guys have other connections from the nine one nine. I really only got into basketball when I got to NC State in twenty fourteen, so I don't really have any amazing Ohio State March moments. But if you want a non Ohio State one, my freshman year was the year North Carolina State beat Villanova. There were a few hundred students watching in the student union, and that's when they showed the piccolo girl from Villanova crying after the game. Lots of students yelling, yeah, cry, piccolo girl, cry. And then we all ran the half a mile to our bell tower, probably the fastest I've ever run a half mile from the 919. So you mock the piccolo girl and then run to ring the bell. I don't know. It's a tournament, man. All bets are off. Um, I will say I remember the Leitner shot. But I remember it because I really liked Jamal Mashburn. I can remember lying on my stomach in my living room at my house, watching on like our second TV, a small, probably 13-inch TV. I don't think it was black and white, but it was one of those. Sometimes you had colored TVs back then that occasionally went black and white on you. And lying on my stomach and like pounding the floor because this freaking Leitner guy had knocked out my guy, Jamal Mashburn in Kentucky. Um, Duke fan here. Leitner's shot is my first March Madness memory. Watching Duke beat West Virginia in the Final Four semi in person at my first Final Four was unreal. It's our guy, Brett. And then my foster family opened a bar in Port Charlotte, Florida, and I volunteered to cook for them for free to help get it off the ground. The Christian Leitner game happened while I was making some stupid hot wings, and my foster brother called me out of the kitchen to watch the last minute of the game. It was one of my most treasured memories for years. So this is what this is what that's about. And this is what you guys are like being denied right now. There's not an opportunity for treasured memories, at least if you're a diehard Ohio State basketball fan who's just not going to get that into the tournament. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to do this first because we like to do this on this show. And we like to remember what sports can be for us, what should be for us, the way it can bind us together, the way it can give us memories that we'll have forever. And this is from a friend in the 610. Thursday is my mom's birthday. 
She grew up in Columbus. Her dad, my dad, her husband, and her older sister are all Buckeyes by schooling. My mom was a Buckeye by blood. So she was the daughter of someone who went to Ohio State. She was the sister of someone who went to Ohio State. She was married to someone who went to Ohio State. She is a child of the Fred Taylor teams of the 60s. She has great stories of being a little kid and crashing the Ohio State Hoops basketball banquet to get programs signed by Jerry Lucas, John Havlicek, and Bob Knight. And she went to more games at St. John than you can count. College basketball was and remained her absolute favorite sport. And the first two days of March Madness were her absolute favorite sporting event. It was a holiday at our house. She set up our family pool, which turns 30 this year, 30-year-old family pool for the tournament. And she was its most frequent champion. We lost my mom after a five-year battle with cancer three weeks ago. She was just 68. I was hoping she'd get one more birthday March Madness combo, but it'll be our first without her. In my lifetime, mom's absolute favorite Buckeye in the tournament was Scooney Penn. The 99 run was so much fun because it was so unexpected. The end of the Randy Ayers era was rough in the court and embarrassing off of it, something my mom really hated. And the Michael Penn, excuse me, the Scooney Penn, Michael Red, Ken Johnson team was such a breath of fresh air. My mom used to get too nervous during games and would sew or do other projects, then come running in to see the replay when something good happened. When Ohio State upset top-seeded Auburn, Scooney scored something like 11 of the game's last 13 points, all with four fouls, and mom was doing wind sprints from the dining room to the TV room and back. That's from the 6-1-0, and that's what this should be. So, sorry about the loss of your mom. She sounds like a wonderful Buckeye. And I know you guys can relate to that kind of stuff. I know a lot of you have similar stories, a lot of them with football, but basketball can do that too, man, right? Basketball can do that too. So we are with you. We are um, so sorry to hear about the passing of your mom, but uh, how great is it that you will be filling out that bracket and you will be filling out a bracket for the rest of your life, and I and every time you do, you'll think about your mom, which is what this is supposed to be. Okay, last break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about this year's team, what the last couple games in the Big Ten tournament did or didn't do for you, and how no Ohio State in the NCAA tournament will affect your viewing of March Madness. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Maurice back on Buckeye Talk. Games in Ohio, right? The Ohio is taking part in the NCAA basketball tournament. Just Ohio State men's team is not Ohio State's women's team is. Uh, this cool thing, I just think it's it's interesting how this works. We know Columbus is one of the eight first weekend sites for the men's tournament. And then in the women's tournament, the top 16 seeds, one through four in each region, they host. They host a four-team pod. So the women's team is a three-seed in that tournament. So they're hosting, and they also happen to have a play-in game as part of their hosting. So that means the city of Columbus over a five-day period is hosting 10 different NCAA tournament games. I just think it's interesting. And by the way, if you live anywhere near Columbus and you don't know this, you could go watch some basketball. Thursday night, the women's games are all at Value City Arena at the Schottenstein Center. And the men's tournament games are at Nationwide Arena where the Blue Jackets play. Thursday night at 7 it's a Purdue-St. John's play-in game. I think it's 11 seeds for the women's tournament. It's funny. 
St. John's is playing in Value City Arena, not St. John Arena. Right, we get it. Purdue St. John's on Thursday night. Friday, four men's games at the Columbus site. Michigan State USC, Big Ten matchup. Hoo ha! At 12:15, Marquette Vermont at 2:45. Purdue versus a play-in team at 6:50. 9:20, Memphis Florida Atlantic. Then Saturday, the two first-round women's games. Ohio State hosting James Madison. That's at 1:30. Then four o'clock, North Carolina versus the Purdue St. John's winner. By the way, easy for Purdue people, right? You have the women on Thursday, the men on Friday, and if the women win on Thursday, they play on Saturday, and if the men win on men win, win on Friday, they play on Sunday. So anyway, Saturday, two women's games, 1.30 and 4. Then Sunday, the two men's games, and then Monday, the women's game, which presumably should be Ohio State, North Carolina for that women's game on Monday. So anyway, that's kind of cool. How much do you care about any of this? Not a huge number of people responding to our tech subscriber survey on this. And so that tells you something in and of itself. A lot of people don't even care enough to respond. I'm not saying that's about you. I'm saying that's about where Ohio State basketball apathy is right now. How does Ohio State not playing in the NCAA tournament affect your interest in the tournament? Only 18% said they care as much. The other 82% have had their interest lessened. I care a bit less, 41%. I care a lot less, 33%. I don't care at all about the tournament if Ohio State's not in it, 8%. Only 18% said they wouldn't be affected. They cared just as much. On average, I said 1 to 10. How much do you care about the tournament in years when Ohio State's in? 8.4 average. How much will you care this year? 5.9 average. So that's a big drop from an 8.4 to a 5.9 because of no Buckeyes. So let's talk briefly about this team. There's only so much that anybody cares to say at this point in time. Um, the big thing is I ripped Holtman in the program. I was there for the Penn State loss. It just seemed dead to me. And then they win five of their last seven. They beat Illinois and Maryland in the regular season, lose at Michigan State. Then they win their first three games in the Big Ten tournament, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State. Then lose to Purdue. What, what did that mean? What did that matter? The, the announcers got all jacked up about it, certainly. Um, it's better than losing. I asked a survey question about it, and the survey question was, how did the Buc-ies, Buckeyes winning those games affect your view of next year? The choices were, now I feel very good with how well the freshmen played down the stretch. It helped me some, which was in the middle, or it didn't matter much. Still an unacceptable losing season. So this person says, I needed an option on the last question somewhere between help some and very good, in my opinion. Very good is too strong, but reasonably confident in the direction with the three freshmen plus next year's class. And in all honesty, the older guys um, who transferred in are leaving. So again, that roster construction was certainly uh, an issue this year. Um from the 614, I've been an Ohio State fan since the early 90s, and this season has been the least amount of basketball I've ever watched. I hate that my son Legion is getting all in on sports and Ohio State everything, and that Ohio State basketball stinks. I want better results for me and my son. Every first Friday of March Madness, my friends and I go out. Normally, we hope for an Ohio State game at the same time. This year, we had no chance for that, and things need to change. I think Coach is a great guy, but I don't know if he's an Ohio State guy. Just my two cents. Thanks, as always. That's our guy, Josh Mustachio. So still still a lost season. Eight Big Ten teams made the tournament. Three made the NIT. The only three that didn't go anywhere were Nebraska, Ohio State, and Minnesota. 
Doug, I'm very disappointed. The basketball team is not even playing in the NIT. I think it would be wise for the team to continue playing to build on their Big Ten tournament success. I don't buy the excuse of too many injuries. There are plenty of players they can use who haven't played much this year. I fear Holtman and Gene are trying to save face by avoiding another potential loss and are hiding behind their injuries as an excuse. Please hold them accountable on this issue. Maybe the NIT wasn't an option, but the fans deserve the truth. That's Jason Aurora. Uh, I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about that. Gene, I know to Adam Jardy, was from the dispatch, was saying like, hey, NIT, we want a bid. So I thought the NIT had to be 500. I guess that's not a rule anymore. They certainly aren't 500. But then Holtman said they're too hurt. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I read today that Gene Smith, again, I think this is from Adam, it's from Adam Jardy in, in the dispatch, read today that Gene Smith suggested to Holtman late in the year that he play the freshman more. Pretty troubling that Holtman couldn't figure that out. So I don't, I don't know. I'm letting you guys vent here. You kind of, you kind of know where I stand on this stuff. One quick point about the last survey question. How did winning games affect my view of next year? It definitely helped, but it just proved that Holtman has no excuses next year. They must be better now that the freshmen prove they can play. How did it affect my view of this season? Didn't change a thing. This season was still miserable and unacceptable. A nice little run, but no one is going to remember them for that after a few months goodbye. That is true. No one's going to remember that they made a semifinal and lost to Purdue. This is on Holtman. As long as Chris Holtman is the coach, Ohio State will never make it out of the first weekend of the tourney. He's a terrible endgame coach, and clearly his culture can't keep a team together for more than a season. It's time to move on. I mean, it took the AD to force him to play the young players. Let's hope Notre Dame makes that happen because Gene certainly won't. That's Corby in the 614. This is, and this I think, I'll be curious to see what the Big Ten does this year because I do think this matters. Doug, Holtman's first five seasons were good, if unremarkable. So I'm willing to give him a pass this season. But if he's like most Buckeyes basketball coaches, not named Fred Taylor or Thad Mata, he will do just enough next season to keep his job, win 10 games, make the tournament, win a game there. But let's be honest, Big Ten basketball isn't very good. Northwestern was the two seed in this season's conference tournament. Enough said. Though congrats to Chris Collins and his team. 18 Big Ten teams went to the big dance the previous two seasons. Only three reached the round of 16, and one of those made the Elite Eight. The rest served as cannon fodder. Fact is, the conference is there for the taking, and Holtman is squandering a chance to stake his claim. I'm pulling for him to do so, but as long as but as a longtime observer of Buckeye basketball, the results of the last few seasons are not at all that surprising. Showing flashes, but ultimately coming up short. I'm afraid I've seen this movie before, but I hope to be proven wrong. So again, I that's a little bit there. I, I think that's a good text, but again, the idea that like, oh, only Fred Taylor and Thad Botta can win here. I don't I don't know what to tell you. They're they've made as many sweet sixteens as everybody but whatever I said it was, right? Twenty teams. They've made as many tournaments as everybody with 13 teams like they're supposed to be good so like i just i don't like uh, honestly like i don't like when people give a fair what i think is a fair honest and critical assessment of assessment of ohio state basketball and then cut the legs out of the assessment by saying but hey nobody can win in ohio state it's not true it's not true yes they had a big lull between 68 and 99 for the final four. But guess what? Football had a big lull in there too. It didn't mean that you couldn't win at Ohio State. It's not true. It's not true. So let's stop saying it. Doug, I thought you were being a bit too negative on the podcast where you all but buried Holtman. There were eight games remaining, if I recall. My thought at the time was that I might agree if Holtman had lost the team for the remainder of the season, but he never did. That is now very clear. 
Of course, it begs the question as to what took so long to get it turned around. In my opinion, it might be that Holtman was too loyal to Zed Key and continued to play him when Zed was clearly hurting and hurting the team, similar to some thinking on Urban at times, that Steve in Atlanta. So, I mean, again, I buried him, and then they won five of their last seven. So that's better than going the other way. But again, I think there's enough talent there that you can wonder why it didn't get pieced together earlier. But like, that's honestly not why we're here because like it, it took me, I wanted to do the research and that took some time. That's why we didn't get this to you on Tuesday, but like it got, it was hard for me to get like into, (laughs) into this pod. And I know there's maybe not that many of you listening to the end of it, but it's not about this year's team because this year's stunk and it's over. So we'll see what happens. We wanted to talk about what Ohio state basketball has been, and celebrate that and make sure we have the right context around this discussion because the facts are the facts and the numbers are the numbers. And if you want to like throw this say, well, yeah, they're 13th all time in sweet 16s and since 1985, but like, I don't, I, I, it's just number. It's just facts, man. I'm just giving you facts. And the facts are, do not underestimate Ohio state basketball. This Notre Dame thing with Holtman, there's a guy in New York who, I don't know, said that reportedly Holtman was a Notre Dame candidate. Holtman said he's staying. It doesn't matter what he says. Coaches say it all the time. Thad Motter said, said he was staying at Xavier and took the Ohio State job. What Holtman says doesn't matter. And Holtman and his agent want this stuff out there because they want him to seem valuable. He is not getting another cent out of Ohio State. He already has an extension and a raise from last year that has put them in a little bit of a box here. So whatever happens, he's not getting another nickel out of Ohio State. But I also like it. It's uh, This is not a shot at Holtman. It's just coaches lie about this stuff until they're out the door. They have to. So they do. So it, it, like it doesn't matter to me. It just that, that 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 that's meaningless to me. What he says. And he did say it. So but it doesn't mean he's staying. But it also doesn't mean he's leaving. But again, a lot of times when you do this kind of public dance and your agent leaks stuff and every little phone call when a school is, you know, doing backdoor checking out on 15 different guys and then your agent puts it out there so they can get a raise out of it, that is not happening with Ohio State right now. So anyway, that's not what this is about. It's not what this is about. It's not what you want to hear. It's over. It's done. I'm done. I'm not going to say any more about Ohio State basketball until next November or whatever. It is what it is. I like Bruce Thornton. So we'll see what happens. But it should be good, and it should be fun. And I'm sorry for all the fans out there who not having Ohio State in the tournament really does lessen your enjoyment. I'm sorry this is the case. And I'm sorry that for Ohio State fans that Ohio State has not been in the Sweet 16 since 2013. It's not acceptable. Okay, we're going to come back with football rapid fire the next couple pods, and I might drop a thing that if we if we do, I'm going to get the texters involved, and it's going to be big, and it's going to be about football. Not like breaking news, but like it's going to be a great big discussion, and I think we might need to do it sooner than later, so we might do it. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Love to have you. Always appreciate you guys hanging with us. Um, we try to hang with you, 365, but you guys really hang with us. And so we appreciate that. Sorry I didn't get this up on Tuesday. It is hard to get fired up about Ohio State hoops right now. So it took me an extra 24 hours to get the juices flowing. We'll be back with football for now. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.